0: a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey everybody, this is Brad Listy. This is The Other People Show. I am in Los Angeles. It's good to be with you. I hope you're doing all right, and I appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Follow the Other People podcast on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. So today is Friday. It is time for another flashback episode. Today I'm going to be sharing an outtake from episode 327, my conversation with Frederick Barthelme. It first aired on November 5th. 2014. Frederick Barthelme is one of our finest writers. He is the author of 16 books of fiction and nonfiction, including Moon Deluxe, Second Marriage, Tracer, Two Against One, Painted Desert, Bob the Gambler, Elroy Knights, and Waveland. His collected stories will be published in January, 2024 by Arcade Publishing an outtake from episode 327. My conversation with Frederick Barthelmay, is coming up momentarily. A quick reminder before we get going that I do a weekly email newsletter. It now lives over at substack. So you can sign up, subscribe to my newsletter over at substack. You can read it there online. It's a little bit more user friendly. The newsletter, is basically my way of reminding you or letting you know each week about the latest episodes of the show. I also share links to things that I've been reading and finding interesting. So if you want to hear from me once a week in your inbox, go over to Substack, search for me by name, and subscribe to my newsletter. As well, you can join the Other People Patreon community. Help keep this show going into the future over at patreon.com other PPL pod. All right, so today's flashback features an outtake from my conversation with Frederick Barthelme in episode 327. It first aired on November 5th, 2014. A reminder that the full episode, episode 327, is available in the feed. So if you like what you hear in this flashback, in this outtake, and you want to go in for the full conversation, you can do that. Just look for episode 327. All episodes of the Other People podcast are available. All right? Let's get to it. Here I am, talking with Frederick Barthelme.
1: And uh, when I was about 22, lived there for five or seven years, and then I moved back to Houston for a while. Uh, Then I went to Baltimore for a while, where I was studying at Hopkins, and uh, then I came to uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where I stayed for (laughs) 30 years.
2: Did you intend? Did you intend? Was that something that you (laughs) know?
1: No. In fact, no. I intended not to stay there for 30 years. I intended to stay there for a year or so. Uh, But that turned into 30 years.
2: I I want to talk about your family because Mm -hmm. I've had uh, conversations with writers on this program who, uh, believe it or not, there, there are multiple conversations I've had with writers who come from families that produce like clusters of fiction writers or clusters of, of, of authors, at least, you know, some of them might write nonfiction, some of them might write fiction, but I always find that interesting. And I'm sort of surprised that I've talked to multiple people who come from such families, because it seems like such an anomaly to me that one family would produce uh, multiple children who, who do this.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: uh, so how did it happen? How did it happen in your family? And, and do you have any ideas on that?
1: Yeah, I think that there are a couple things. Both of my parents were, uh extremely literate my mother was English major at penn and my father was a was an architect but very well uh, read and uh the thing that was prized most in the family was Quickness of wit, <laughs> so people were, you know, we spent all of our time, you know, cutting each other up for you know days on end. At every occasion, at the dinner table, watching television, riding in the car, uh, it was a constant sort of verbal uh, play. And um, I think that that's where you find the source of uh, of all the writers. In fact, everybody in the family, all the five children. Um, made their livings in one way or another writing.
2: Wow. And how, so, okay, so five children, uh, how many boys and how many girls?
1: There were four boys and one girl, if I remember correctly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and your
2: parents encouraged this, obviously. And your father being an architect, uh, you know, that's a, you know, obviously that's a little bit different than uh, the fine arts, but there's definitely a fine art aspect to architecture oh, yeah. and design. Yeah. And, I, and I always find, too, that like, There's something to be said about having an architectural approach to the novel, you know, because they're they're, they're not dissimilar, you know, and a a, a well-structured novel or a well-built book feels in some way similar to a a well-built structure or building.
1: Yeah, your building is the central sort of idea uh, in in both cases. Um, And, you know, he was a very aggressive uh, modernist uh, and uh, as a consequence of which, you know, that we were, uh, the whole life of the family was sort of modernism. Uh, he built a house in, uh I think it was 39 or thereabouts, which we lived in until uh, or we reached, uh, you know, our moving away period. Uh, it was a very modern house and well known in Houston at the time since been torn down of course oh really uh you know for 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 some nice condos oh. <laughs> <laughs> some pretty condos they were building
2: yeah okay so wait, like what did the how what was the house like when you say modern just because i think maybe some listeners might not know exactly uh, was, what that means
1: it was sort of uh corbusier out of me uh, a big central room that had like 10 foot ceilings and was i don't know what uh 22 by 35 that would be the living room dining room uh some auxiliary space uh, on one end uh Spiral staircase going up to a single room upstairs, and then bedrooms slung off of this space uh, in various ways uh, on both ends of the house—one for the parents and the children at the other end of the house.
2: And so, why was it? And it was just torn down because somebody, some developer, decided they wanted to plan a bunch of condos there.
1: Yeah, that's a. Yeah. Well, you know, at a certain point, that happens. It was. Uh, You know, it was on all the sort of Houston registers for houses, but for, you know, architecturally significant houses, but that doesn't really count in Houston. (laughs) 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 Houston is more about, you know tear it down tear it down yeah put in some
2: like you got to get you got to squeeze more money out of that uh out of those a, that acreage you know
1: progress progress
2: Ugh. so okay so you're raised uh, by an architect do you find that like w- w- were there things that uh he taught you that later filtered into your work like were you getting an aesthetic education from him in a way that felt really explicit or was it more that one of those things where you just sort of picked it up by osmosis uh accidentally along the way
1: No, absolutely. The the whole process was learning (laughs) from one time you could walk. (laughs) You know, I mean, we were all uh, involved in one way or another in in his life, the buildings he was designing, the uh, charrettes he would be involved in or the competitions he would be involved in, Uh, and in working around the house, you know, like he decided we needed to uh, convert the driveway to shell, so we all <laughs> spent hours and hours shoveling you know, oyster shells into the parking lot because that was at some. point, This is in the fifties. that was uh, that was something we needed to do.
2: Well, so yeah. Well, and yeah. It sounds like he was kind of like restless in terms of his uh, projects. Like he was tinkering a lot.
1: Yes, yeah, so the house was constantly under redevelopment. Uh from the time it was built in '39 to, you know, I guess, I mean, he spent the last, um, I don't know what, four or five years that he had the house drawing and redrawing and redrawing endlessly uh, new um, designs for the front of the house, uh, thinking that he was going to, at that late stage, uh, redevelop it. And, you know, could never find anything satisfactory. The, the failure to find something satisfactory was the key to this entire operation, I think. Hey,
0: everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond,
2: So okay, but it, I mean, it sounds like it was kind of a laboratory for him. But was it also sort of a, a repository for kind of a, a restless spirit? You know, was it? Was sure.
1: Both. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Of course. I mean, the, the kids. You know, all, all of those aspects of of the life we lived in that house uh, were were sort of taken and internalized by all the children in various ways.
2: And you were raised Catholic.
1: Yes. Okay, I say that because he was not Catholic, my mother was uh, I mean he was Catholic, but he was not practicing I guess my mother was practicing we were practicing Catholics until we escaped
2: until you as was i but you know you were educated in Catholic schools i mean did yes did that, did that have an impact on you
1: uh, only to uh, a dissatisfaction with khakis
2: <laughs> the uniform <laughs> yeah. Uh, was it a co-ed situation, or were you in an all-boys school?
1: Uh, co-ed. Okay.
2: Well, at least you had some girls around.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I had a big problem in Catholic school for a while, and, and uh, one of the anecdotes is that, and, and some of this I sort of remember and some I don't, a teacher threw something at me, and I threw it back at her. <laughs> And then I went to school in the in the uh, nun's, uh, what do you call it? It's not a rectory for nuns, whatever it's called. The nunnery? Uh, yeah. The nuns ran the school, so I had to go to school in the nun's uh, housing area for six weeks alone. <laughs>
2: wow. It's like solitary.
1: Uh, yeah, it was great. It was great. Um, the teacher said that I made various remarks that I don't recall making, but um, other people believed the teachers, and so I, so I went to school for six weeks, day in, day out. In the convent, there it is. It came back to me. Convent, there it, there it is. Yeah, that's right.
2: So, w- was there a competition among you and your siblings growing up? I mean, I know you guys were engaged in kind of a battle of wits, which seems healthy and, and normal, but. Uh, especially as you get on in life and, um, you know, your brother uh, Donald's publishing and having a lot of success and, you know, you're trying to do it and other siblings are trying to do it. Like how did that uh, dynamic take shape and how did it affect you?
1: I, uh, what I'd say about that is that there wasn't a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of competition in the same way that we had grown up with a competitive sort of shooting each other with language constantly, but there wasn't any deep-set, you know, uh, concern in that way. Everybody was very pleased when Don started uh, having his success. This was about, I guess, in the early 60s, 63, 64. Um, And then um, there just wasn't a lot of sort of... uh, There were a lot of jokes about it. My brother Steve, who was younger, uh, I remember on one occasion Don had come back to to Houston for some reason and uh, (laughs) he wanted an ashtray. There were no ashtrays, for example, in the house for some reason. I don't remember why. So he went to the store and he he got an ashtray and we were all sitting around the dining table and he said, uh, uh said to Steve, he said, uh, you know, have, have you seen my new ashtray? And Steve said, Steve said, well, I don't know. Was it in The New Yorker? <laughs> 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 so there was that, that kind of thing. But uh, jibes. Yes. But not, nothing more than that, Now, um, And
2: did it, did it make it any more difficult for you? I mean, I've got to imagine, like, coming up behind somebody who's publishing in The New Yorker, like, that sets the bar pretty high.
1: Yeah, it was it was uh, it was awful in that regard. I mean, it, the problem was, of course, that he had such a, uh, an enormous and and attractive success that there was uh, a limit to what you could do. You had to get outside of what he did, and it took me a very long time to figure out how to get outside of what he did.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, is there is there a pressure? You know, when your brother is is having that kind of publishing success and is, um, I, I think aesthetically and stylistically so notable. You know, is there a pressure to sort of follow in those footsteps or to go in the opposite direction? Like, how do you find your own thing?
1: Well, the thing the, the thing you have to understand is that that sensibility that he brought to the writing at that point was basically a family sensibility. That's what I'm with all of the foregoing. Uh, wants to suggest it was basically what we did all the time in the family he was particularly good at it <laughs> <laughs> right. and and uh of course he figured out a way to turn it into a a, a new form of fiction but um it was it was the, the family sensibility so that it was uh you know it fell naturally to all the rest of us uh and so when we started when i started writing or when steve started writing fiction um you know, what we did was essentially the same sort of thing, uh, or at least in the in the sort of ballpark, uh, uh, that Don was working in. And I used to send work to Roger Angel at The New Yorker, who, uh, you know, has remarked uh, publicly, I think, that he got work for me, and it was just like Don's, and he couldn't buy it because he already had one of those. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, it was some years later, after I had uh, sort of gone through all that. Going th- I was mostly a, a painter as a as a, as a younger per- person. I was a visual artist and a conceptual artist, and so on. I got to writing later after I lived in New York a while and and uh, and had done some books that were sort of um, the first two books I did were kind of. You know, sort of halfway between the art world uh, and the uh, literary world.
2: Yeah, so let's talk about that. So you you you're in Houston, and uh, you know you go you get through Catholic school, you survive, and then you you said it earlier that you escaped. So escaped to what to Lane?
1: No, I escaped the. <laughs> <laughs> the Catholic Church, uh, basically, and you know, it changed the way you looked at things. And and I, but this was this became very soon after that was the the sixties, and you know, the whole world of that. And we were in a, we had of course a band, and the band was quite successful as a, you know, you're talk, crazy. You're talking about Red Crayola, yeah. It's, uh, it was known as a sort of psychedelic band, but it wasn't really so much psychedelic as it was sort of influenced by Cage and, and all the art music people of that sort. And so we sort of combined that with rock and roll and, and uh, made a couple of records, uh, which, are, you know, which are still out there. <laughs> you can Google them. and and, and
2: um, So was this post-college that you were in Red Crail, or was there like, what, 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 how did it all go timeline-wise?
1: Uh, I went off to Tulane for a year, then I went to the University of Houston uh, Arch- Architecture School for three years, and it was about at the end of that stint that we had the band, and and the '60s came in, and you know the whole thing went out the window. I got kicked out of school uh, once, and then got back in, and then got kicked out again. Uh, so I never took an undergraduate degree. Why did uh, you get kicked out? Did you have a uh, bad grade? Uh, no, I. Well, yes. In the architecture school, the, the the story is that the guy wanted us to design a um, parking garage. This was just after Paul Rudolph had done the parking garage at Yale that everybody was talking about in the architectural world. And, you know, my father thought this was stupid, and I, following my father, thought it was stupid too, so I did a multimedia presentation instead of designing a parking garage uh, where I put the professor in the middle of the room and Shot him with you know six, six uh audio tapes, four you know, videotapes and slide projectors and shot them all across him and trying to suggest to him that you know, his idea was dumb, and that here was some interesting stuff, <laughs> and he didn't think it was interesting and that was it. Yeah, I was kicked out of the architectural school after that, and then I went into the art school, and somewhat the same thing happened. I I did an art book uh, for for a special problems course, uh, which I – and I was a painter by this time, working as a painter, exhibiting as a painter in Houston, and – I did this book, which consisted of xeroxing all these articles out of the art magazines, because that's where I got my real art education from—reading art magazines. And at that time, they were very uh, uh, fancy and, and heavy and difficult to read, and uh, deeply committed to what they were uh, writing about. Uh, and so, I, you know, did a book by xeroxing all, you know, 400 pages of art magazine articles. Suggesting to him that the selection of same was the uh, equivalent to, you know, research and so forth and so on. Uh, and the professor in that case did not agree and, and kicked me out of the art school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this, is a, this is a promising beginning for someone who wound up working that's, in academia.
1: <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I thought.
0: <laughs> All right, guys, there we go. That was an outtake from episode 327, my conversation with Frederick Barthelme. It first aired on November 5th, 2014. Frederick Barthelme's collected stories will be published in January by Arcade Publishing. You can find him online at frederickbarthelme.com. Don't forget to subscribe to this show wherever you listen. You can also subscribe on YouTube, follow the podcast on social media, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and Blue Sky. Be sure to sign up for my weekly email newsletter over at Substack and join the Other People Patreon community at patreon.com slash otherpplpod. If you have a couple of minutes, please give this show a rating wherever you listen. It helps the show find new listeners. If you want to get an Other People t-shirt, you can do that at otherppl.com. And finally, a quick plug for my latest novel. It is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything available now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. Again, the book is called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. So, coming up on Sunday, my guest will be David L. Ulin. We will be talking about his latest novel. It is entitled 13 Question Method. Great talk with David Ulin coming up on Sunday. So,
1: stay tuned.